Culinary Now podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jamie. And today's episode is brought to you by Forge to Table Knives. Forge to Table offers handmade Japanese-style knives at an affordable price. Forge to Table was started by Wu alumnus Noah Rosen in the pursuit of the perfect knife for culinary students, home cooks, and chefs alike. Their flagship blade, the 8-inch Gyoto Chef's Knife, is a cult favorite among professional kitchens. It's also a cult favorite uh, for Santa and during this holiday season to bring to all those kitchen enthusiasts. Jamie, did you ask Santa for any Forge Table gear this holiday season? You know, I did. I really need a new bread knife, and Forge Table has a 10-inch serrated knife that is beautiful. That's definitely on the top of my list, as well as some of their leather knife covers because my knives are always in my toolbox, and to keep them sharp and myself safe, these leather knife covers are going to come in so handy. So those are my top two that I'm asking Santa for this year. Hopefully Santa lets you know that he left those before you just reach your hand into the stocking if he doesn't give you the knife cover, which is a great way to prevent cuts in, in, in this holiday season. Uh, Forge Table knives are available at the Jehu Student Store slash bookstore or head over to ForgeTheTable.com and use the promo code CULINARYNOW, C-U-L-I-N-A-R-Y-N-O-W, at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Uh, Forge Table wants all the listeners of the Culinary Now podcast to know, go for it, Jamie! Have a knife day and a knife holiday season. Today we are lucky to have two very special guests joining us. We have Haley Nelson and Colleen Rosel. Haley is a product developer and Colleen is a food scientist who both work for one of my favorite companies, which is Ben & Jerry's. I am so excited to be talking with both of you today. So welcome, ladies. I'm so, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. So I'm going to start us off, and Colleen, maybe you can take this first question. Can you talk a little bit about what a flavor guru, uh, as Ben & Jerry's likes to call the members of your team, kind of what a flavor guru does, which I think that probably makes for the best business card ever, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's our fancy PR name is a flavor guru. Uh, <laughs> I would say that we bring flavor ideas to life is the short answer to that one. So coming up with flavor concepts, working with our suppliers to get the ingredients and making sure our vision comes to life, working with regulatory teams, making sure we can make the products in our factory to what we want it to look like and that our fans would love, and then bringing it to shelves. That's so fancy because I was gonna say we um we eat a lot and we get to play with our food for a living. Also true. You guys must eat a ton of ice cream. I mean, that's just I I I I, I honestly think it's like in 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 my head it seems like the best job in the world. I I, I mean, do you, how much ice cream do you guys eat? I know it's sort of just like a casual like comment, but like, what do you guys? I mean, on a regular basis. Like, oh, good question. Oh gosh, it's a lot. Now, every time we make a test batch, we're tasting it. You know, we're tasting the base mix before we add the inclusions. We're tasting the inclusions as we add them in one at a time. We're tasting the final product. And then if we actually do tastings with our brand team or other teams to kind of get their input on flavors, uh, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? I think we did probably close to 11 samples in a single day, which, you know, a bite here and a bite there adds up after a while. <laughs> And yeah. we cram all I mean, of that into like an hour. 
We do taste a lot of ice cream, but we also taste a lot of our other ingredients too. So maybe one day we're not tasting ice cream, but we're tasting cookies and brownies and some of our swirls and things like that. So a variety of products to taste. We also uh, get that three pints like of ice cream to bring home every day. What? So. That's definitely a perk. That's a perk. I mean, it really is. It, you're not, you're not, you are helping uh, my thought that this is the best job ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sick of ice cream yet. I can't speak for Haley, but. No. And I, people ask that a lot, actually. Like, do you ever get sick of ice cream? I'm like, no, I think I get tired of certain flavors. Like if I've been tasting brownies all week, I'm ready for something else. But never ice cream. Ice cream's always going to be good. We have so many that's flavors that you can just amazing. mix it up. <laughs> that's that's so true. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about was all of these different flavors. And one thing I'm curious about is how long does it take a flavor to go from inception to our store shelves? Is it two years or two months? Or is, is it both? Does it depend? Because we know that you have a lot of very pop culture uh, current flavors. So those we know probably have to go very quickly through the process to get there. So could you talk a little bit about the process itself and kind of the time frame that it goes in? Yeah. So I would, can I, I'll, go ahead. Can I start with that one? Kind of I'll zoom out big picture and I'll let Colleen handle kind of the more detailed parts, maybe in order. Um, but big picture, it kind of depends on if we're bringing in new ingredients or if we're using existing ingredients and kind of, I mean, if you think about building a product in your kitchen, kind of like orchestrating a band, you know, you've got all the same instruments, you've got all the same ingredients, it's just how you put them together that makes something really interesting and unique. And you can have the same ingredients, you know, building product A as you have in product B, and yet they deliver on a totally different experience. So if we're starting from that perspective, and we have everything we already need, we can streamline something pretty quickly. Um, But if we're bringing in a new ingredient or a new vendor or working with a new partner or a new business or tying in something social mission or a partnership with a celebrity, that stuff all adds significant time to our development process because, you know, we're tying in more people to the tastings. We're trying to fulfill everyone's needs along the way. We've got, you know, legal things to worry about now. And with new vendors, we've got new partnerships and testing and standards to figure out. Um, So, you know, if we really needed to move something quickly, we could probably six months, maybe five months, six months, maybe make it happen. Um, but if we're working on like one of those bigger partnership, longer term flavors, we, you know, I would say at least a year and a half minimum. Yeah, I would agree with that. The only other thing I would add is if it involves a new technology. So like Topped was a new technology for us and working with a new factory. So that product line took longer than our typical pint renovation made at our current factories. Just one quick note on the topped line. I recently just tried the bourbon uh, topped and oh my God, I think it's my favorite, my new favorite flavor. I was, I didn't have like I, I wasn't, I tried, I mean, I like to try all the ice cream. So I wasn't thinking this is going to be my favorite, but I think it very quickly became my favorite flavor. Ooh, a white a lot, chocolate. I've tried a lot of them. Oh, well, I wasn't going to tell you. I picked that part off because I don't like white chocolate. <laughs> it's okay, Jamie. I'm not offended. To each their own. There's 10 different ways to eat a pint. We have a group of folks that we call chunk spelunkers. You know, they dig through the pint and just, you know, eat all the chunks first. We have uh, the core folks who kind of just 
tunnel down a core pint and just eat all of the core material and then they go for the ice cream on the sides. Uh, if you want to eat your ganache first or not at all, that's totally up to you. There's no wrong way to eat a pint. So, so you, so you, you guys mentioned uh, that the process can be as quick as six months, but also take up to a year and a half plus, depending on how many people sort of have to be consulted. You know, when you start dealing with, you know, names of celebrities, I'm sure more people at the table, as you mentioned. Um, what does the average sort of working group look like? So if you're developing a flavor, how many people on average are involved in that process? I think Ooh, it's more people than folks realize. <laughs> I mean, in terms of approving the product concept and the flavor, probably 15, 15 people. That's a good estimate. I would say, and that's and that's cross-functional with our marketing brand teams, customer channel development. And, and who in that process, this is just me, my curiosity, who in that process has like the final say on the name? Like, is that sort of just a collaborative process? Have you guys ever had any names that you've come up with that have actually been the name that they ch- have chosen? Like, who makes that call? Like, is, is it Ben or Jerry? Or is it someone who's completely outside of that uh, that executive suite? I love that question. My, my manager has been here for a few years now, and he just got his first name chosen to be on a pint. So he's super excited. Um, We run brainstorm sessions pretty frequently. uh, And the brand team usually schedules and leads those sessions. Um, We don't schedule those until we have a flavor build kind of nailed down already. So we know what's going into it. We know, you know, what we're trying to hit, but they'll invite just a random selection of people in the building, usually the R&D developer who's working on it. And then, you know, some of the more creative folks that they know about, and then just they kind of pick and choose randomly a few other people to fill in some extra seats. We come up with probably 50 names per flavor. And then they whittle it down to like, okay, what are our top 10? And then eventually we have to go through trademark checks and make sure it goes through a brand check. Like, are we really saying what we want to say? Depending on the name, there may or may not be some kind of, um, you know, consumer research conducted to make sure that we're not accidentally saying something unintended with our name. Um, We have run into a couple issues in the past where we named something and then it didn't land like we expected it to. So we're getting better about both coming up with the fun names, but also making sure that we're doing it right. I know that Haley, you work on some international or with some international markets as well as the US. And I want to talk a little bit about the different flavors that different countries might have than we would see here in the US and what might influence the different flavors only being available specifically in that market? Yeah. So I actually really, really like this question because that's so much of what I do. Um, I work a lot with exports from the US. Um, the markets I kind of cover are Canada, uh, Mexico, South Korea. Uh, and then there's someone else on our team who covers a ton of our other markets. But there's a lot of restrictions. And you know, going, going into the food kind of industry initially, I never quite realized how significant country regulations really can be for dictating what you can create in a certain geographic location. You know, we have limited factories, limited production facilities, and yet we're trying to reach all these other parts of the world. So we have to make sure that what we're making complies with their rules. So for a quick example might be uh, only certain cocos processed with alkali are permitted in South Korea. Their list of permissible alkalizing agents does not match up with the United States. So that can really influence what ingredients we can use in products that we send there. 
And then other countries um, like Europe, for example, they have their own manufacturing site. So for them, they can actually choose. And I totally know that I said Europe and that's not a country. I apologize. That's definitely a continent. But um, we do have a factory in Europe that covers the European market. And they can actually source their own ingredients locally and use those in their production. They they don't have to import from us because they can make it themselves, which gives them a bit more freedom and can really allow them to make unique flavors for the European countries that maybe we can't have here in the U.S. for the same kind of regulation reasons. So, Colleen, let me ask you this. On on flavors that... Let's talk about the U.S. for a second, because on the Ben and Jerry's website, there's like this link to the the funniest flavors that were ever suggested. And on that list is uh, salty licorice. Now, I can understand why Americans might not jive with that flavor, but I've had licorice ice cream in Denmark, and it is friggin' delicious. And I I don't know if it's just because I like black licorice, I like anise. Like, what influences what Americans will accept for their ice cream flavors? So I would say we definitely develop for the U.S. market in terms of broad, more approachable flavors. So we want most people to like what we do. U.S. is our biggest market, so we kind of have to be careful about not putting something too far out there that people don't respond to. We definitely have brought some of those to our brand teams and they're like, mm, we like it, but don't think our fans would enjoy it. So, yeah. And so uh, this wouldn't, this was not an actual flavor consideration, but I can give you guys an example. <laughs> we have a flavor lab that we run out of the factory in Waterbury that when we're running tours now, unfortunately tours are closed right now, but when we are running tours, the flavor lab can actually make small batch ice cream that we can serve to people and get their quick input on, do you like this flavor? And they can do totally unique things that we would never necessarily mass manufacture, but it gives us a way to kind of test out some fun things. So once upon a time, I made lemon poppy seed ice cream and served it out of that space. Now, I personally love lemon poppy seed anything. But through that experience, we learned the public does not necessarily love lemon poppy seed anything. Uh, There's also the concern about poppy seeds getting stuck in teeth. And a lemon profile in ice cream is actually really challenging because lemon is citric and ice cream is, you know, your dairy base. So sometimes those things can clash. Um, So getting that right balance was also a big challenge. But for a flavor like that, you know, we would from that experience, you know, we would never try to launch that in the U.S., but in a different part of the world, maybe that would do really, really well. Now, you know, at that point, if we had a flavor that we were like, it could do well here, but maybe not over there, we would consult with our our brand team or some of our other teams and ask them, like, do you think we should pursue this or do you think we should move on? We also do a lot of consumer research with our fans and we throw flavor ideas their way to see what they're interested in, too. So that gives us a lot of ideas as well. So I was going to say this kind of segues perfectly into my next question, which is how do you guys determine when to discontinue a flavor and when to when to keep it around? Because a couple of my favorite flavors have gone away, <laughs> such as uh, key lime pie, which I know is seasonal. It, did come, it came back for a hot second and I bought all of them. But also the Liz Lemon Greek yogurt from 30 Rock also went away. And that was a lemon flavor profile. So I'm really curious, what 
and did the 30 rock based one go away because 30 rock ended or because you guys don't have the Greek yogurt line anymore. So can you talk a little bit about what determines what stays and what goes? Uh, there's actually <laughs> a lot of different reasons. So I'm like, I don't know how to answer that because I actually stopped choosing favorites myself because inevitably they'd get retired. And I was like, it's the kiss of death. I'll choose one and it's gone. Um, the, some of the reasons are, you know, maybe an ingredient we can't get anymore. And honestly, for anyone who's going into kind of the pastry baking business, I highly recommend you make sure you have solid resiliency in your supply chain. <laughs> uh, have more than one vendor for whatever it is you're putting in your baked goods. So an example of that might be Reinforced Crunch. Uh, the candy pieces that went into that ice cream stopped being manufactured and we couldn't find anybody else to make them. Uh, so that one got retired. Uh, sometimes sales, you know, if a flavor is really just not selling, it just doesn't have a big enough fan base. You know, we'll we'll clear out that space and make room for something else that is more popular. Because it can't it can't be specifically that like let's say Jamie's I'm not going to rub salt in the wound here, but Jamie's favorite Liz Lemon. <laughs> uh, it can't be because Thirty Rock went away because Jerry Garcia died in '95, and that flavor is still that flavor is going nowhere. So it has to be sales. <laughs> related in, at some that level. Is a, that is a part of it. That is a part of it. But it definitely also has to do, like, there's a lot of different reasons a flavor could be retired. We have, honestly, historically, we've retired some flavors for really silly reasons. Something like, you know, we just don't like the name, so we're just going to make it disappear and, you know, maybe we'll, like, fix it, edit it, come back to it in five years. But for now, we'll just, no, we'll just knock that one off. Um, so any reason at all that, that the business either can't make it happen anymore or doesn't see why we should continue making it happen, then those are the reasons they'll kind of go away typically. We also do have though, we have a really amazing fan base of people who love our ice cream and it's so fun to interact with them. They have no qualms about telling us what flavors we should bring back and why. And they have no qualms about telling us when we've made a less than stellar move. So we do take all of those right in seriously <laughs> and we do sometimes bring flavors back. So Gosh, Colleen, remind me. I think this was two years ago, one year ago. We revived, I think it was three different flavors that were fan favorites. The, they're the ones that got the biggest requests to come back. So we remade those and relaunched those. Give me s'more. Cannoli. Cannoli and peanut butter half-baked. Yes, that's the last one. Yep. Yes. So that's good news for uh, for Ben and Jerry's fans that if they are really missing a certain flavor, they could. I mean, maybe we can just use this podcast for everyone to write in to bring back the uh, the Liz I mean, Lemon. This 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 gives me hope that you've gotten my emails about key lime pie because I've been putting in that suggestion box from the gra from the graveyard. Bring back key lime pie. So hopefully, hopefully you're getting those when I send it's, them. It, it's not that you've got. It's not that you. It, it's not that you've gotten a thousand requests for key lime pie. It's just one person requesting it a thousand times. So um, on on sort of like the flavor. Um, train here you know i want to talk a little bit about like sort of the creative process behind you know developing flavors you mentioned earlier when we were talking about some flavors bring in new ingredients while others sort of you know reconfigure existing ingredients to to make new things how does that creative process work i think we're a really i just let me start i'm going to back that up for a solid second and talk about like creativity in general like there is no one way to be creative Right. So I've heard some people say that like the best way to do it is, you know, you, you really limit your options and start with 10 things so that you're not like overwhelmed and then just see what you can do with those 10 things. And I've heard other people say, no, you really can't be creative unless you have the world at your fingertips and can do whatever it is that you want, no matter how overwhelming that may be. Um, and 
there's no one way to start that process for us either. So sometimes our flavor ideas come from consumers who write them in. Um, famously, chocolate chip cookie dough was a consumer suggestion that somebody submitted back at the original gas station. Uh, but sometimes our flavor ideas also come from just the flavor gurus playing around in the kitchen here. So we have, um, we started this a couple years ago, actually, and it's been super fun. We do kitchen challenges with each other. So one person on our team will decide what challenge it's going to be, and then we'll issue it to everyone else on the team. So we've done like an Iron Chef competition internally. We Last year, we did a holiday flavor development competition between each, like just with ourselves on the team. Um, and it's always fun to see what people create and come up with and keep our creative juices flowing. There have also been times when our, you know, consumer research team or our brand development team come to us and say like, hey, this keeps popping up in a lot of things we're seeing recently. Like, do you think you could do something with that in ice cream? So the ideas come from everywhere. I mean, a few times someone's just been, you know, making something backyard grilling, barbecuing at home. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, I want to make this in ice cream form. Let's do it. Uh, I think a great example of that is actually one of our coworkers, Eric. Uh, he makes grilled barbecue peaches. And a few years ago, we had a program, not even a program. It was, we did something called City Churned, where we picked a few different cities in the United States and used local ingredients to those cities and really engaged with the consumers to make local flavors for them. And then we had a, a Texas churned kind of truck tour that we did with two unique flavors. And one of those, he ended up, Eric ended up designing a barbecue peach ice cream flavor. And the idea was inspired by him just making those barbecue peaches in his backyard. So the ideas definitely come from everywhere. Not all ideas translate to ice cream very well, though. Agreed. And I would say we also brainstorm a lot with each other and with the broader team. We'll bring in desserts from other places and taste them together and talk about, oh, we like this component of this dessert, or we really liked how they did this and how this came together. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Can you talk about some of the flavors that didn't translate well into ice cream? Anything with a gummy candy. Uh, <laughs> so, why, why, yeah. why, why is it? But, but why? why? Is that? Um, so, I mean, ice cream is a frozen product and texture is key to a good like gummy worm or gummy bear experience or even a gumdrop. Um, I don't know if you've ever frozen those and put them in your freezer at home, but when you pull one of those out and then try to chew on it, it that hurts. <laughs> got to be careful. So there are certain things that we would have to really scientifically edit that gummy experience if we wanted to put it in ice cream. And we'd have to edit it so much that then, you know, would we be able to run it through our machinery because we're changing the product so much? We have very strict ingredient requirements as well. So a lot of the things that are used commercially to make some of these products, we wouldn't be able to use. Like gelatin, for example. Correct. So texture is a really big challenge for us in general. And it's not just on kind of the gummy side of things, but it's also on like the, um, I would say for like, you know, cake pieces, brownies or baked goods. When you put those in ice cream, they rehydrate. So a lot of the ingredients we start with, honestly, are not the kind, like if you want some of our brownies, it's not the kind of brownie you're going to sit down and snack on, you know, like from a grocery store that you just made in your kitchen. Our brownies are a bit firmer. Um, when they go into the ice cream, it runs better on our machines. And then they rehydrate with some of that dairy once they're in ice cream, which softens them up and makes them scoopable and then finally achieves the texture that we were hoping for. 
so if we start off with something that's, you know, too hard or too crumbly, you know, that can also like break apart when it's going through our machines. So we have to find that balance of what will give us the end product we want that we can also run on our machinery uh, and that will really deliver on the experience we're going for. I would also say anything like really crunchy in terms of fried food is hard for us to do because we can't maintain that texture through shelf life. It's very difficult on our side. And we always want to do it because who doesn't love fried food? But just a little challenging. Talk about how you got potato chips into ice cream then. So (laughs) we We turned it into a swirl. (laughs) Yes, we did that as a swirl. Uh, So that was a potato chip swirl for Chip Happens. So we used crush up potato chips and a lot of fat in the (laughs) variegate itself. (laughs) So it sets in the ice cream and it protects the variegate from getting moisture migration from the ice cream. So the fat protects it and helps it stay crunchy. So that makes a lot of sense because potato chips were also in late night snack, but I believe those were chocolate covered. So the chocolate would protect them from the moisture. This is so interesting. Correct. And those are also more of a cluster than an actual like full potato chip because a chocolate covered potato chip that you can get out of a candy store, that'd be too fragile for us to use. But a, a covered cluster is something we could actually work with. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, taking feedback from consumers and how that can influence your your sort of new product line. I know that, you know, ice cream at its core is, is not necessarily dairy friendly, but you guys have a substantial dairy free line and you've explored that and you also have gluten free. How does uh, the company sort of adapt to the the growing shifts in, in consumer demand from, from just diet in general, whether that be gluten free, dairy free or whatever? Are there any sort of other trends that you guys are that are on your radar and you're and you're sort of factoring into maybe future flavors this is I would a say gluten-free is definitely one that we're considering more often now as well as dairy-free and potentially the combination of the two because there are people who can't have dairy but also can't have gluten so we want to make sure that we can have ice cream for everyone so it's definitely something we consider, but we're always like, how big is the market for this? Are there a lot of people who can't have dairy and can't have gluten? So definitely some considerations on our side. Well, and at the end of the day, we we feel very strongly that we want to make the best product we can. Uh, and if we sometimes exploring those options results in a mediocre product, <laughs> in which case we'd rather just not launch it. <laughs> So it's got to be really good. So it's not just about, can we make something gluten-free? Can we make something dairy-free? It's also, can we make it gluten-free? Can we make it dairy-free and still have it taste really good and fully fulfill on the experience that we really want people to enjoy? Like my sister is someone who's also gluten-free and she avoids dairy for for lots of different reasons. So not all of our non-dairy flavors are for her. Not all of our gluten-free flavors are for her. She's tried some really awful gluten-free and non-dairy things out there. Um, So she appreciates the good ones when they come along. And we only want to deliver the good ones. Yeah, I would say our team is a good test for this as well, because we make the samples. And if we want to keep eating it, knowing that we don't have any restrictions, then we're like, this is a good sign. We think people really like this flavor. That's definitely that's definitely the sign that it's really good is when you don't have to eat gluten or dairy-free and you're enjoying it anyway. Yeah, that's definitely a great sign. So what are, what are some of the 
or your favorite flavors that you've been a part of developing and maybe a personal favorite when like one you go to time and time again that you're always going back to or maybe it's a past flavor too. Ooh. Uh so one of my favorite discontinued flavors is the Speculous Core. When I first started at Ben and Jerry's, I was like, "Can we bring back the Speculous Core, please? I love this flavor so much." We're like, "Ah, just it didn't do well with consumers." Nice. I think maybe it was the name, maybe it was a little too ahead of its time calling it Speculos, but now cookie butter is everywhere, so <laughs> just too far ahead of our time. Ooh, a current go-to flavor of mine would be Gimme S'more. So I love anything with a gram swirl. Everyone on our team knows this. <laughs> if a gram swirl is out in the kitchen, I will eat it by the spoonful. I have no shame about it. So that is definitely one of my go-tos. In terms of flavors that I've worked on, ooh, so I would say maybe Boots on the Moon, which we did as a limited batch Netflix flavor. And I really liked how the ice cream build tied in the theme of the show. So it was all about space. And we did like a milk chocolate ice cream with a sugar cookie core to kind of represent the moon. And we had almond toffee clusters, which were the meteors. And then we had chocolate cows floating around in space. So that one, it just, it really came together and tied in with the theme of the show. Awesome. Haley, what about you? Um, Gosh. So I'll start with the ones I've worked on first. I guess my... One of my favorites that I worked on was Berry Sweet Mascarpone. It didn't stick around for long. <laughs> but for anyone who did find it, it was in Whole Foods as an exclusive. It was a blackberry and mascarpone ice cream. So the two ice creams were in there with shortbread cookies and chocolate-covered almonds. And um, fun fact, when I was developing that flavor, I put so much blackberry flavor into it and I was so excited. And then my heart was a little bit broken when I found out that the next year's berry crops weren't quite as flavorful. So for anyone also working with anything having to do with fruits, just be aware that berry crops um, can be a wide variety on uh, delivery. <laughs> but that even so, like it was just pretty and elegant. And honestly, we don't usually do elegant. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that one. I think another favorite for me that I worked on, it's an Albert's is exclusive right now, but it's a chocolate peanut butter split. So chocolate and banana ice creams with mini peanut butter cups. And I really like this one because it kind of plays on kind of a classic dessert option that a lot of people know and are familiar with and love, but that we've never really nailed in ice cream ourselves. We also loaded it with the mini peanut butter cups. And, you know, when we're working on culinary design for our products, typically we go for something that's a bit more well-balanced, not overwhelming in any one direction. But it was really important to me that we load the mini cups into this flavor because the, the mini peanut butter cups were, you know, that's what was going to bring the joy for that pint. And then, yeah, for personal favorite flavors right now, again, I told you I'm not choosing favorites because it'll just <laughs> die. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Matt, what about you? You've heard about mine. Do you have a, a favorite go-to? Oh, man. It, it's, it's, I... I want to think it would be one of the really more creative pop culture flavors, but like, I'm just a purist at heart. Like I, I love mint chocolate chip ice cream or peanut butter ice cream. And um, we eat a 
ton of ice cream in my house. I have um, a three-year-old and and, uh, and an ice cream loving wife. So like we, we're just all about it. So, but we stick with whatever like sort of the classic flavors are, but um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've had to choose. I don't know. It's so, it's so tough. It's so tough. I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. So I got to go with Cherry Garcia. Nice. I mean, my birthday's coming up and I'm probably going to go for uh, Chubby Hubby. It's probably going to be my my birthday pint. Whole thing, one sitting. No shame. Great story about Happy that. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> yes, it usually is. <laughs> um, a few months ago, our marketing team, I don't even know how this happened, but for Chubby Hubby specifically, I guess somehow they started like taking bets on the average number of pretzels in a pint. And then they came to the R&D team afterwards and they were like, okay, like, so now you have to like melt down some pints and tell us like how many chunks are actually in these pints. I was like, are you guys serious? Like, this is what, what is happening? Wait, what was the number? Yeah, was 17. 17. 17. Oh. That being said, if you get one on your birthday, you'll just have to count as you eat. Oh, I will for sure. And you know, there's some variability in there, obviously, but that 17 was the goal. At the end of the day, if you're getting paid to count chunks in ice cream, I think you've you've made it in life. I think that that's like <laughs> like that is a that is a sure uh, sign that you are doing something right with your with your career. As we as we sort of transition, we kind of come come to an end here. We thought we'd do something a little bit fun, and and you know we've talked about favorite flavors that exist, and we've we've sort of you know lamented on flavors that we wish would come back, mostly Jamie. If you had to, and, and again, you got the, the call to create one flavor, you alone got to, 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 to pick the influence and pick the flavor combination. Uh, what would it be and, and why? So, uh, Colleen, we'll start with you. Ooh, one flavor. I would probably do a sweet corn ice cream. Nice. Potentially with cornbread. Maybe a honey butter, maybe like a berry jam swirl or something along those lines. Uh, I've never had corn ice cream before. And when I lived in New Jersey, people raved about this little ice cream shop that had it. And I got it and just fell in love with it. It was amazing. And I was like, wow, this is a unique ice cream flavor, but it's still approachable. Like everyone is familiar with corn. Everyone loves corn, but people haven't had corn ice cream before. That sounds um, fantastic. So oh my God. Put a little salt in there. I would buy it all. And actually, then you guys would discontinue it. I actually think you should put, I would say put like spice in there, put jalapeno in there would be nice too. A little sweet and spicy would be a really good combination. I like that. Listen, that like, that sounds like a winner. Like, all right, that's, that's, that's going to happen. Uh, Haley, what about you? <laughs> I mean, my baseline, I still really want to see lemon poppy seeds someday. <laughs> Only I want muffin pieces included. <laughs> I'm really, I don't, I really like the breakfasty kind of flavors. And ice cream's not typically a breakfast product, even though it's got I mean, dairy and you could add muffins or You guys coffee. had cinnamon roll. You had cinnamon right? roll for a while. Right. So I'm really buns. into the breakfast flavors. Um, so a lemon poppy seed muffin, lemon ice cream with poppy seeds and poppy seed muffin pieces in there would make me so happy. But you know, outside of that, if I were to get a bit more creative, we've been on locally here, at least uh, in our team, we've been on a little bit of a hot honey kick. Nice. I would love to see a flavor that could pull off a hot honey um, and do it really well. That sounds awesome. Oh my gosh. So those, those flavors, all of those flavors, 
those flavors actually, I feel like, have some some option to becoming a real flavor because you guys know the parameters. When Jamie and I start throwing out ideas, this is where you guys have to check us and you have to really tell us how how realistic this is. So, Jamie, what would be your your you know carte blanche flavor for Ben and Jerry's? Oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for this question. Um, well, I so I like the really weird out there flavors. I like sweet and savory. And um, I so a long time ago, I had this idea, like years and years, and I was like, my dream job would be to create this like gold label for Ben and Jerry's, and it would be all these like really fancy chef flavors that are so crazy and off the wall. And so one flavor combination that I really like and would fall into my hypothetical chef gold label. Ben and Jerry's would be um, a black truffle ice cream with hazelnuts and maple and chocolate chunks or swirls would be like, that'd be my flavor combo. What everything would be, I don't know, but it would be a, uh, yeah, some so, gold leaf in there too. Like, let's really charge like $300 a pint here. Yeah. <laughs> you said maple and just do truffle chunks. Why not? And just make it a thousand dollars a pint. Like that's that, Jamie. That sounds awesome, and I love the idea. So the Ben and Jerry's crew is going to have to make it happen. It, for me, I, I, I'm going to go back. I, I want to see licorice ice cream, and I want to see good and plenty candy folded in. So make that happen, guys. Please for me, because I I want licorice ice cream. We have a few licorice fans on our team, so they might be able to pull something off. I, I would confess, be happy. I'm an all sorts fiend. I would be happy to taste test. Please send me whatever you have. I'll come to Vermont. I I will be there anytime. Just give me give me two hours or three hours to get there, and to pick me up on the way. Yes. Just to be clear, you know, all uh, the uh, good and plenties are an option, but salty licorice—it's uh, a bit Nordic. Do you go for like the soft salty licorice or the hard salty licorice? I when I went to Iceland a, a couple of years ago, I noticed there was like a sliding scale of salty licorices. In yeah. terms of like super, super soft all the way to, you know, like Werther's kind of hard. No, this was soft. It was, it was, it was the flavor that I had when I tried it. There was no um, really noticeable chunks of licorice. It was more flavor. So that's why we could be pioneers and we could put the good and plenty candy in there. It's a classic, really trigger those baby boomers. Let's, let's do it. Let's make it happen. They might hurt your teeth a little bit though. Putting those good and plenties in ice cream. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> There was a flavor he did at one point with pineapple chunks, and it was not a stellar moment. Uh, <laughs> first of all, pineapple has like an enzyme that eats away at dairy, so like right. long term, it doesn't work very well unless you do something to the pineapple ahead of time. You have to cook but it. Also, yeah. like if the pineapple chunks were too big, we had this experience where I was scooping through and I like got a chunk and ice cream, ice cream, joy. And all of a sudden I hit this like weird pineapple popsicle moment, and I was like, why is there a pineapple <laughs> popsicle in my ice cream? Um, well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fascinating conversation and has made me crave ice cream for sure. So I'm definitely going to pick some up later today. Uh, I appreciate you guys sharing all of your knowledge with us and your experiences on the Ben and Jerry's team. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. This was great. This has been super fun. Happy to come back. Just let us know whenever. All right, guys. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you again to Haley Nelson and Colleen Rosel for joining us today. We also want to thank our friend Matt Burns for providing all the music for the Culinary Now podcast. If you liked today's episode, leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive feedback helps us reach more listeners. 
And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to receive updates on new episodes from all our projects. If you'd like to reach out to the team at Culinary Now, please shoot us an email at culinarynowpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Culinary Now Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. And we out.